Welcome, everyone, to the latest Green Section podcast series episode. We've got a really fun show for you today. Uh, we've got Andy Staples of Staples Golf Design joining us, and also George Waters on the Green Section education staff. Uh, you know, we've got an, an increasing number of golf courses that are paying more and more attention to tees lately. That's been a hot topic with the increased rounds. A big increase in sort of new golfers or returning golfers sort of flocking back to, to the game. Uh, so not surprising we're seeing issues related to wear and tear on tees, concentrated divots, um, issues you know related to tee locations, and just do we have enough options that work for increased play? Um, you know, so we wanted to get uh, golf course architect Andy Staples on to join us and talk through some of the ins and outs. He's obviously got a ton of experience in this area related to tees and just golf course design uh he started staples golf design in 2002 um and he's based in scottsdale arizona so obviously tons of experience uh really thrilled you could join us today andy so thanks for uh, for jumping on yeah my pleasure adam thanks for having me george great to talk to you as well looking forward to diving into this topic i can tell you i'd spend more time talking about tees these days than than a lot of other things on golf architecture so i'm happy to happen to be a part of this yeah, no, that's no no doubt. Uh, I know our, you know, myself as an agronomist, the rest of our uh, agronomists on staff, we've probably talked and written about T sizes and divots and all that stuff more so in the past two years than uh, than a lot of years combined. So yeah, it's an important important topic. So we'll we'll jump into it sort of first and foremost. You know, we're hearing collectively our our staff, we're hearing lots of discussion, you know, about T's. You know, there's interest from courses that they're doing renovations, memberships are full, tee sheets are full, things like that. So they're excited to do these renovations and include tees, you know, in those renovations. So I'm curious what, you know, you're obviously out there a lot talking with golf courses and owners and operators. So what, are you hearing the same thing? Yeah, I'm actually probably more discussion around tees and tee equity, forward tees, if you will, uh, as part of the conversation uh, and just about every project that I that I'm dealing with, so yeah, it's it's a hot topic right now. So within that, you know, are there some common issues, you know, some commonalities with tees uh, that you're seeing, you know, whether it's you know with like teeing options in particular, you know, do older courses, newer courses, is everyone facing sort of the same types of challenges, or is there one sort of you know cluster of of golf courses of a certain age that maybe ha- this is a little bit more of a of a challenge, just tee space, tee options. Yeah, I think logistically, most courses that I'm talking to are all trying to solve solve some problems. So you know, it's not always just confined about confined to tees. However, you know, just the way the golf industry's evolved and, and the way that we talk about golf courses and in you know bringing new people to the game, kids, seniors, the the forward tee, the the teeing equity conversation is is definitely on people's minds and they ask the question so what does that mean for me and could we do it at our place and and so then yeah any anytime i'm doing a master plan where i'm looking collectively at all 18 holes or however many holes they have uh, the the t locations the t sizes uh the universe uh, the uniqueness the diversity the the teen yardage uh par threes par fours that is all collectively looked at together. And so I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily, uh, I'm not getting the, the phone's not ringing off the hook saying my tees are, uh, I have no turf on my tees, can you help me? Uh, but I will say that, you know, over this last year, it certainly has put a lot of stress on on the tees that most members and, and, and customers are playing. So yeah, that's the, the, the sizing now 
for the first time in the last maybe 15 years, people are finding that they didn't have as much tea space as they thought they did because of the increased play. So uh, I, I just would probably just answer that by telling you it's really a collective discussion and it's really a lot of clubs are thinking about it and they come to, to me asking those questions already. It really is a two-part two equation. There's the, the golf experience side to make sure we've got a good set of tees for all types of golfers out there and then the size component and agronomically and you know what can you do to, to get the the best turf possible for your tees so it can handle the increased traffic, especially if you don't have the ability to to increase the size. I wanted to, you know, sort of touch on your approach to teeing options for courses today. Is there, do you have some guiding principles that, that helps you with your process for locating tees, you know, determining the right yardage for a certain course? Um, you know, can you really make anyone uh, happy, you know, by trying to, you know, solve all these issues with, with tees? Well, I mean, that's a big issue. I mean, big question, because I, I don't know that it's, it, you know, it's not a real straight line answer because every golf course is different. Obviously, starting from scratch on a new golf course is going to be entirely different than a, you know, a, a major renovation of an existing golf course all the way down to small, small tweaks. But what I, what I would say that is, is probably the driving principle that I'm always, that I always begin with is, is who is your core customer and where are you getting the majority of your rounds and where do they play? And then I kind of start diving into a little bit more of the technical expertise or, or, or exercise. Of if that particular middle tee player, which, you know, eight times out of ten, that's the white tee the, of the middle tees. And, of course, I'm always trying to talk about changing the, the colors and things. But call it the middle tee. Is that a, a, a swing speed that is of, of a, a normal average player? Or are we talking about a better player or a lesser player? And I think one of the biggest things that that I would say has changed from when I first started in the business and learned about teeing placement is now I'm actually thinking in terms of swing speed, like who's actually playing the golf course and how fast are they swinging the golf club. And I think for a lot of years, we as architects started out by saying, okay, let's go to the back tee and how long do we want this golf course to be? And you know, at one point, 65 and 6,500 or 70, 65 or 6,700 yards were long enough. Then we went to 7,000. Now you're seeing even further. Uh, we would just kind of sprinkle tees in, uh, in between, kind of somewhat proportionate as to what it looked like on a plan. Uh, but now, once I know where people are playing, I will locate tees based specifically on how fast they swing the golf club, and that starts at you know 100 100 miles an hour and over all the way down to 65 miles an hour. So really, uh, that's the beginning, you know, kind of principle that I try to, try to, you know, dive into on every one of the projects I work on. When you take that swing speed approach, Andy, do you feel like there's tees, I mean, you know, thinking about forward tees, for example, do you feel like they should be considerably farther forward than maybe where they've been typically located based on that sort of plan view, even spacing kind of approach? Yeah, so... I would say one of the, the, the hardest things I ever had to answer was how to tell either a senior male or uh, an avid female golfer that they're playing a too long of a golf course. Let's say uh, I'm a male and I hardly know how fast I hit or how fast I swing the club and I'm used to playing a 6,500 yard golf course, but I really don't hit the ball you know, much more than 165 or 70 yards off the tee. How do I convince him to to move up a set of tees and the same thing with women you know i can't tell you how many golf courses even today that the forward tees which 
mostly we've always considered them to be red tees. Now we're trying to get those those red tees into a different color. But the forward tees has, has a 5,400 to 5,700 yard uh, course for these females. And how do I get them to say, you know what, you really should be playing more like a 4,500 yard golf course. So it wasn't until I actually started asking these players, do you know how fast you swing the golf club? And actually, if you are going to look at a golf hole in the design and you want someone to experience the golf hole in an equitable manner in a way that is similar from the the most accomplished player all the way to the lesser golfer, uh, really that's a very easy proportion. If I swing the golf, golf club 100 miles an hour and my wife uh, swings it at 65 miles an hour, 65% of 100 miles an hour, which is 100%, really should be that yardage. And when you actually track out how those those distances are laid in theory now, I mean, there's all kinds of site conditions and and things about an actual golf course that matter, but uh, you can now actually say uh, without any debate that you are uh, you should be playing a, a shorter golf course because you just flat out don't swing the golf club fast enough to to sh- to experience the golf course in the same manner. And I think that's one of the biggest things about this whole conversation about teeing equity is. And, and tee placement is, is are we into allowing all golfers to experience what it's like to actually hit a, a short iron into the green and actually putt for a birdie and actually experience the thrill of golf? Or are we just okay with, like, for example, most women, they've learned to play the game uh, hitting driver three wood on every single hole and every par three, they've hit a three wood. And so I, I try to, to kind of overlay this this idea of technical expertise around swing speed as to how I position them. When you think about that, that sort of comparable experience or, you know, a similarly enjoyable experience, do you see it more as trying to get golfers into a comparable landing area or is it trying to get golfers hitting comparable approach clubs because the two aren't necessarily going to line up, right? No, they're not. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest kind of disconnects is that the, the thought is that with equity, teeing equity, you're trying to get everybody to land in the same spot or have the same iron in. Really, to me, it's not necessarily about getting them in either case. It's more or less general uh, uh, generalities. Like I would like to believe that if I uh, am I swinging the golf club at 100 miles an hour and I can hit a, a golf ball 260 yards off the tee, and I have an eight iron into the green, but I'm playing with my wife that only hits at 125 miles an hour and she has a three wood. Well, I want to give her the opportunity to three wood into the green. I would like to give my wife the opportunity to have some place on the golf course that actually gets close to that quote unquote eight iron, short iron in. So I don't know that I necessarily care if she's hitting an eight iron. I just would rather her not hit a, a three wood all the time. So really it's you know, then all of a sudden you start to come into a very complicated mess now with this idea of the discrepancy of how far, you know, the better player is hitting it versus the average player because now, you know, where do you, you know, protect those landing areas for a guy who carries the ball 260 or 280 or, or further versus a, a, a gal who hits it 125 yards, you know. That's a whole nother discussion on this. But I really just, it, it's more or less a proportion and giving somebody the option of playing something uh, you know, similar to way most of the other golfers will be playing. I mean, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I mean, do you feel like in general that golfers make good decisions when it comes to tee selection? I mean, do they do they have a, you know, on average, a reasonable understanding of their hitting distances, of yeah. what makes for an appropriate challenge for them? Or is it, you know, how do you 
And then how do you work with them on that when it comes to suggesting something farther forward than maybe what they're used to? Yeah, George, great question. That question specifically is probably the most difficult one to actually dive in with golfers. So let's look at the history of of teeing grounds, right? You go back to the beginning of golf architecture and the, the first time you start to see people draw plans of golf holes, they essentially have one tee. And they have one starting point, and that that whole that the, the design of that hole was was specifically to navigate a piece of land from that point, and that's why you see the old the old scorecards that maybe the back tees for a, for a male was a par seventy two, but you know how many of those old scorecards you see that the ladies par is like par eighty three or par eighty, you know, and so you know golf began under this context that here's a starting point, hit the ball as often as you need to get uh, you need to get it in the hole. You know, of course, there. You know, a lot of us. You know, a lot of the golfers back then played match play, and they didn't care so much about stroke. Uh, so as tees started to move forward and say, you know, listen, for starters, these tees aren't big enough for the amount of play we're having, and then maybe some people can't carry it all the way to the fairway. So maybe we need another forward tee, and then that second tee that became the member tee. Now we came up forward tee, and you have a front, middle, and back. And so the history of golf really started out by saying, here's a point that you've got to start and get it down as the least number of strokes as possible. And it wasn't at all driven by the idea that said, listen, if I'm going to hit a short iron into the green uh, from this tee and, you know, my wife can't hit it that far, let's go find a tee for her to do the same thing. Uh, that that was never part of the part of the discussion. So when I'm having these conversations with, you know, a, a, a senior male, he remembers the good old days that he was playing the back tees and he is having a really hard time moving up and he realizes that you know he's hitting the ball shorter but he doesn't want to he doesn't want to get there uh and so um having that conversation around swing speed and and using the idea of teeing equity i try to connect onto that level uh, but i will tell you that there's still a lot of golfers that learn the game that the game is is hard it's an adventure and it's it's not about trying to make it quote unquote easier, and that's that's really what it comes down to is is trying to sh- change that narrative around trying to make it easier versus trying to just make it more fun. And so I always try to have the idea of fun, you know. Hey, don't you like putting for birdies? Don't you like hitting a green and two? Let's talk about that. Let me give you an option. I don't. I'm not going to tell you what tee to play. That's up for you to decide. But I'm going to give you an option that if for some reason you ever want to try to reach a green and two and putt for birdie on a par four, I'm going to give you that option to do that. When it comes to to those conversations, do you find there to be sort of certain sticking points, certain stumbling blocks with, are there certain T yardages that people are sensitive about? Is there, you know, I don't want to play less than 6,000 yards or whatever it is. Are there, you know, the color issue, the T color issue that you kind of alluded to, what do you find are some of the sticking points and where do you, you know, where do you feel like you end up having the most back and forth with folks and seeing the most reluctance on different kinds of changes. Yeah, I'd say that's narrowed to to two very, very specific uh, discussions. I'll start with the men first. The the 6,000 to, you know, to 6,300 range is a very sensitive uh, yardage for them. Uh, As I go below 6,000, they don't want to see a yardage that starts with a five. They want to see a six. And that happened to me at Olympia Fields. That happened to me at uh, Meadowbrook in, in Detroit, it, it happens across the country that men just have this kind of already uh, built up perception of the championship level golf course that they want to play. So that's number one. And, and, and that's real. So, you know, I, I'm driven in a lot of cases to just try to have some option, whether it's a, 
an actual tee that's 6,000 yards or more or a combination set. Uh, but even a combo set uh, is a little more difficult because they want their own tee because golfers are uh, are creatures of habit. They want to go right to their color of tee, and they want to hit that from that tee every day. Uh, and we can get to that discussion here in a minute when it comes to tee sizing. But the second point is the women, and that's the forwards that that's moving them forward. And I and I find that the that women fall into two very distinct groups. Uh, they're the 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 women uh, eighteen hole golfers. Uh, that are in a, uh, a very strong network of players, uh, generally driven by the better players of the club or the area that, of, the, of the group. And they have, have given the perception that, you know, golf is, is hard and we play from this set of tees and I don't want to give up my advantage because I'm actually better from this, this tee. And most women will fall in line with that. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that, you know, anytime I try to think about moving their tee forward, they immediately have some... Uh, built up, uh, you know, resistance to it, and I, I think we, as as men <laughs> players, we can learn a lot from them. They 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 take the game as they see it, and they they hit it and, and run and go catch it. Uh, but moving them forward is is as equal, if not more, of a of a difficult discussion. Uh, but I also say too, with that, oftentimes after I get out of this meeting of say twenty twenty women asking me why I'm going to be moving their tees around. When the meeting uh, kind of uh, disperses, you'll find the nine-hole ladies, the ladies that just aren't very good. They'll catch me on the corner and say, you know what, actually, <laughs> I really would like to have a forward set of tees. So I know they're not telling you that, but I think I would. And, and there's a group of us that would like that. So balancing the politics and that, and really those two, meet, those two discussions are really driven off of private country clubs. Um, but I think those will, will certainly uh, translate into the, 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 public, the public market as well because – you know, they, 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 golfers are creatures of habit, and they like to go where they're told to go. And at the end of the day, in that in that forward tee scenario, I mean, when you do provide a tee farther forward, it's not that everyone needs to move forward and play it if they choose not to. No, and I think, you know, that's let's let's bring in the conversation of tee sizing for a second. So that's probably one of the biggest, I think, changes or opportunities for growth in our industry is to somehow give us as a golfing community permission to play a different golf course every day. And, and now you're finding people that want to play from a certain set of tees. That's the only set of tees that they, that they play for. The big argument I hear is, uh, again, well, tournaments are played from that set of tees. So I need to practice from that set of tees. Why would I move up or why would I move back? Because that's where all the tournaments are played from, or that's where the events are played from. You know, one of the things in my design world uh, that I'm trying to have some communication with my owners is, is start trying to diversify your events to play a different set of tees so that you don't always go to that that back tee that if, hey, we do have a forward set of tees, let's go play a, uh, a, a tournament or an event from here. And I'll, I'll give you an example. In Meadowbrook, we have a purple set uh, for the women uh, or whoever wants to play the purple set, but it's generally uh, for the nine-hole women. It's, it's about, you know, on the 5, 5,200-yard uh, mark. And a group of uh, men, uh, one guy in particular, uh, went and got a bunch of his friends together and played an event, got about 70 of his guys to play it. It was fivesomes. Every one of the guys had to hit a driver. He could not lay up. You had to go for the green. You had to reach the green in two. And so every every hole was played from an entirely different uh, distance. And I guess these guys just had a hoot. Now they're going to be doing it every year. And so that's this whole idea of just trying to break this norm of, 
of everybody having to play from the same set of tees and and having the openness to say you know what we're going to play you know from a different set today and oh by the way there's a forward set so you know what they're rated we can we can record a score here so let's let's go play from there and play it play a match and see how it goes and i'm more than likely they're going to have fun doing it when you talk about getting out of the norm a little bit one kind of area of concern that I've heard brought up and, and seen is this idea of tees being located within fairway areas, but it, it almost seems like it's it's kind of an inevitability if you really start to look at swing speeds that some of these forward sets either need to be located within the fairways or kind of after the fairway begins. Yeah. And the, the complaint I've heard about it is that they don't feel real, right? Like people don't want to play them because it's not, not official looking. Like how do you, do you encounter that problem and how do you start to try to resolve it? Do I encounter that problem? Absolutely. How to, how to address it? Uh, I'll tell you how I've done it. I'm not sure that's the perfect scenario, but but there's, there, it's the way that I that I present it, and that's the way I've been doing it. And that is completely agree. And I have three young boys, and I I actually lived it. I would put my kids out in the you know the club I play from. I'm trying to change this. They're going to put some forward tees out. But we'd go out in the fairway. They'd tee it up in the middle of the fairway, and they very quickly figured out. They're like, Dad, I want to I want to play from that tee back there. I want to play from the tee. So what I'm doing now is I'm 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 finding the right yardage generally going up to that 65 mile an hour swing speed which is about a four you know 4,000 to 4,500 yard golf course which is unquestionably up in the fairway I'll pop the tee up in the ground a little bit so I'll do a little fill I'll find a spot it doesn't have to be a perfect yardage I gotta just find the right little spot where it sits up Uh, I blend the tee in so it can be mown with a fairway unit but by the time we're done you actually can stand on it and feel a little proud that it's up in the air I try to convince clubs to put markers on them because i think markers help prove the idea that this is actually a real tee superintendents don't always like that because now you're moving the fairway guys got to get off the unit and move those markers in the middle of the fairway Uh, but at minimum i want to put a nice big disc that you can see with a color and have a a yardage on it so it's on the flat t a flat part of this t so that it actually is uh you know feeling as much like a t as possible and and I find by getting it up in the air and making it big enough and having it pointing in the right direction, they're generally square in nature. Not always, but you know, make it feel like it's a, a spot that you want to hit from uh, helps. So it, it, it's, it's the one way that I'm finding that checks all the boxes from the superintendent's perspective uh, to the kids, to the seniors, uh, to the grandkids, you know, all the things all the way through. Uh, and then the scorecard, because, you know, the last thing you need to do is worry about you don't need seven different yardages on, on tees, right, So on your scorecard. So that, that opens up a whole other conversation about clutter and all that. But uh, they're very successful, and and you can do them in a, in a way that if you're not playing them, you might actually just walk right over the top of them and not even know that they're a tee. That's the way I've been handling that. I love that idea, Andy. And I, I remember seeing that at Harbortown, actually. And I, I don't know when Pete and Alice actually put that in on 18. But, you know, when they, they play the event there uh, every year, they all, you know, the 18 gets all the all the airtime from the blimp and stuff because it's just such a unique hole. And you can see that that little tee there, that, that forward-most tee. And I think they have rough around it there, but... It's still, it's pretty nicely defined and forward enough that it just seems like it gives folks the idea like, look, this is, this is a real tee. I wanted to circle back on something, you know, you talked about swing speeds and I am unfortunately getting sucked into that vortex of chasing swing speed and my game is suffering for two reasons. I'm, I'm chasing swing speed and I've got a six month old at home. So 
those two are, are not a good combo to for Adam hitting a straight here. But I was curious, you know, in addition to swing speed data, is there any other data that you're using to to help with determining T locations and things? We we've got our GPS service that we've employed at you know probably a hundred plus courses now, and and that's been our one of our thought processes. If a course is going through a renovation and actually having data on how golfers are using their course you know that that could be valuable to help pinpoint here's where folks of this handicap or this swing speed are not reaching the green in two and and here's the actual data and instead of you know sort of taking that swing speed step to the next level and actually showing it here's where these folks are ending up on on your golf course i would say that i've used the resource management tool and and the tracking uh, that you're suggesting with gps multiple times and it's incredibly helpful uh, to just prove to membership or to the to the ownership of the golf course that you know, this is where your golfers go. So it, it helps prove the fact that, yeah, we're seeing everybody playing from the same set of tees and that certainly the access point is reinforced that, that says this is where everyone is coming in and out. Let's, let's no reason, you know, no wonder why the, the tee is worn out in that area. Uh, so the, the GPS tracking is definitely a valuable tool. Uh, but in terms of trying to sell where a golfer should play, you know, it, obviously we all play golf. You, you don't know how straight and, and how many times you're going to hit it perfectly in the middle of the fairway. So it's really hard to give an exact uh, data point on that. But we know, generally speaking, uh, with landing areas, we have standards that we use, and I track them out on, on each golf course to know kind of generally where everyone's going to be playing. And, and that's, in a lot of cases, how uh, I try to, you know, tend to, to select a hazard placement and things. But the one thing I really try to not to do, this has really been one of the kind of the struggles in, the, in this whole teeing equity conversation is to not be so formulaic in my design to have to use data to tell someone how to play a golf course. And I think the art and the, uh, the, the feeling, the experience that I feel like I'm hired to give uh, to, to the, the people that play and experience my courses um, I don't want to be driven by the fact that someone's only going to hit it 220 yards, so therefore this is where the tee has to go. I want to use the land to dictate that. And I still believe that the greatest golf courses in the country are, are built uh, in a manner that teeing equity just naturally occurs because you've routed the, 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 the golf course properly and, and selected the right sites for these tees. Uh, every once in a while you get in the point where that everybody wants to play from the same set of tees because it's the dramatic spot. That's when you just got to make sure you get a big enough tee to, to account for it. Uh, but other than the resource management tool and, and just, you know, the background of knowing generally how far people hit the ball based on different swing speeds, those are really the only data points other than swing speed, obviously, that, that I'm using. Uh, but I still rely on the art uh, to place tees just because I think that's what sells great golf. George had alluded to this earlier, and I don't want to let you off the hook because it, it might have been sort of bundled into a bigger conversation but the the topic of tea colors I'd, I'd like to sort of get your your feedback what are some of the trends that you're seeing out there um, and you know maybe some success stories you know to help shift away from sort of the stigma uh, associated with some of the traditional tea colors that are out there love to talk about a, a new project that hopefully opens at the end of this year i worked with a pga national resort down in florida the old squire course we did a renovation, major renovation of an 18-hole course, completely surrounded development. Uh, we carved out two holes to create a par three course, and then re- used the remaining 16 holes to kind of push and pull 
uh, to grab 18 holes. That's going to be around, you know, I think it's around 5,800, I've sold the concept around this, this, this new course, which we're going to call the match course, uh, as, as not having any par, uh, not having any tees. And I've, I've helped the club along with a new type of scorecard where I start with a minimum first on the course, minimum yardage, and the maximum yardage. So there are no tees. There's, they're all, it's all mowed together. It's all going to be mowed short grass. So when you arrive onto a tee uh, at the beginning of a hole, you're going to see a feature, and we're going to kind of use a, a bit of a nautical theme of some, uh, some pilings with some rope around it. So you're going to show up, and you're going to know that this point uh, is the longest point to play from, and then you're going to look out ahead, and you're going to see that same uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of feature, you know, out in front of you as the minimum point. And we're going to encourage you to play anywhere in between those two points. There are no tee colors. There are no real yardages on every single tee, uh, you, know, you know, color or anything like that. You just know what the minimum and the maximum is, and you can. And then inside inside those points, I'm hoping to have you know, round numbers. So if it's a, if it's a par four, you'll have 400, 375, 350, 325 to give you some relativity perhaps. Uh, but that's a bit of an extreme example and that, but it's real world. It's about ready to open. And that's the way we're doing it there. And then, you know, me personally, I just, I really have a hard time, you know, with the conversation, especially with, with club members, because they get so passionate about certain uh, certain colors. Uh, I'll give you one trend. You know, it was good enough for Shinnecock Hills, so it was good enough for Meadowbrook in, in Detroit. Our back tees at 7,000 yards are the color red. So that was the other thing we're trying to flip the idea of what the color red means in, in, the, in, the, in the industry. And I've made the back tees in the club. It was a big debate, but they ended up uh, uh, signing off on it. The back tees at Meadowbrook are, are the color red. So I'd say those are two two examples, but all in between, I, I try not to get it, you know, get into all these different colors and numbers and things like that. I, you know, that 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 becomes an impassioned speech with all the people and the owners that I deal with. But certainly have an opinion, but you know, ultimately it comes down to how the owner's going to run their golf course. Yeah, I've, I've used the Shincock example a few different times when it's come up, but passion's the right word for it when you you have some of those conversations with folks and it's like. I'm just, I'm just communicating, you know, kind of, you asked me a question and here's, here's maybe some alternative options to think about, but yeah, ultimately it is a, it's a course decision and, you know, it's just a strange stigma that doesn't really, doesn't really mean anything. It's just people hold on to their traditions and some don't like change. And well, and it's like, and I, and I, I, I said this earlier, the golfers are creatures of habit. One of the, one of the bigger discussion points with, with the ladies group uh, with the women is, I mean, they are driven. They want to go right to their tee. They want to see their tee block. That's their spot. And if you move it, it's a, it's it's almost a bit like you know changing the color of the room in their house, right? And it's it's a it's a it's impassioned and it's and it's a big part of who they are. And and so a lot of this is just an, a generational shift and understanding that things can be different. But um, it 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 certainly is is a case-by-case basis and I'll and someone in my position I'll bring my perspective uh, ultimately it's going to be up to the the club members and the owner of the course how they want to how they want to run it and it's it's all over the board as to how that lands that example that you described in Florida there sounded like sort of searching for some semblance of simplicity with with tea presentation let's talk a little bit about the other end of the spectrum because part of this 
drive to accommodate more and more people, which is you know, certainly a valuable and an important goal and has a lot of important benefits. One of the concerns that, that we hear about it, and you can just sort of perceive from your own experience, is the risk of sort of cluttering the golf course, right? Where you've you've suddenly got seven different teeing options and you've got a ball washer for every deck. And if somebody doesn't have a ball washer on their tee deck, then they feel like theirs isn't being treated fairly. With How do you start to work through having more options, but then, you know, not creating experiential clutter but also not creating like physical clutter that's going to have a maintenance cost impact right where you're picking up all this stuff as you're moving sets around and how do you balance those yeah georgia that's a huge huge conversation and i can tell you i've 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 learned from experience uh kind of going out to some of the courses i've designed or holes i've designed i've actually made some pivots in in field of construction when i see these tees and say wow there's there's a lot going on out there with tees we got to maybe combine some or maybe maybe eliminate some. So, you know, this this whole conversation started when Alice Dye brought this whole conversation around how design was not, you know, really facilitating women golfers. You know, Jan Beljan, another architect, uh, Jeff Brower. I've learned a lot from uh, Arthur Little. He's the one that actually really uh, started. He sent me a, a PGA of America article that he helped write. And he's the one that brought me to the swing speed conversation. I feel like I've brought all of those kind of tools and those resources and landed on simplicity is always better than complication, complicated tees. And so the times that I've gone as far as doing seven sets of tees, I feel like that's gone too far. Now, sometimes it's worth it, especially on a perhaps in a public setting and if you have enough of a budget to, to manage those things. But I think you can go too far with it. And I, I really feel like there's a way... Uh, that we need to figure out how to com- you know to not complicate it to the point to where you know five sets of tees is enough. One set should be up in the fairway that you can have uh, a moan uh, edge so you don't necessarily see it. You've got four tees to somehow figure out what to do with your yardages. You make a couple of the middle ones a little larger in size, and then you rely on combination yardages to know that you can play up on one one hole and play back on another. And so by the time you get, you know, two or three combination yardages on five sets of tees, I think you've got plenty of options for people to experience the golf course. You know, in a lot of cases, if I go if I go four sets or three sets, you know, those four, two middle ones, I'm going to try to combine those into one tee. So visually, with the majority of the people that are on the golf course are playing those middle sets, you might only see one tee in front of you. There is definitely a balance that, that we need to, to strike. And I will tell you this, too. My experience is most golfers don't want that many options. They, they were going to look at the card, and they're going to know what yardage they want, and they're going to go to that tee uh, until we can get them all to look at playing different angles and different yardages. You, we're going to have that, that issue of, of overcomplication. And so I think there's a balance that we need to strike, and, and I, I believe there are uh, situations where too many tees are are too much. And it's, it's a huge maintenance issue too that I mean I know a number of courses that have had you know seven eight nine separate boxes for for certain par threes and it's like okay these all need to be maintained and watered and fertilized and receive plant protecting applications let alone you know course setup. I know one one friend one hole alone um, that had sort of tees all over the place for this cool par three. I mean it took them like 45 minutes to do you know tee placement on on one hole with you know there was some clutter that you know we had to move different boxes and that but still it was like 
you just drive up to that hole and you're like, I don't know what's going on today because there was so many options. Yeah. So there's lot, lots of things to, to think about. I like sort of how you described it, though, getting the right balance. Yeah. You can wor- work at a, a very historic old school club that just has a shorter yardage and just knows who they are. Anything more than two or three tees to them is a lot. You might be able to get away with putting one up in the fairway. But then you have another you know, 36-hole family club setting where you have all this diversity of play and you have a large junior program and those types of things, and you start to say, you know, maybe these tees are worth it. You know, square tees and bent grass surrounded by rough is a completely different set of maintenance circumstances than the than the situation I'm describing in Florida, where you everything is mowed basically fairway height all the way out to the fairway uh, with no tee markers. So I think there's, you know, simple is, is always better in my mind, and I think there's got to be a way to strike that balance. Andy, a little, little uh, you know, put you on the spot here. I'm going to describe a T philosophy, and I'd like you to name the architect <laughs> that is sort of famous for this this T philosophy. So, um, you know, one long continuous T to suit all the markers, often described as, you know, like a runway strip. Sure. So who, who is that architect? Well, there's only one that you could be talking about, and Robert Trent Jones Sr., um, yep, yeah, that's it. He All was right. ahead of his time, of course. You know, there's a lot of value to that. It, it, you know, from a from a natural standpoint and how we like to try to get everything to fit in, it doesn't always match. Dick Wilson also kind of stole that uh, when he started out too. You see a lot of his courses do that. But there's a that's a that certainly a, it's interesting to think that one architect could have been known for a T design, right? Well, certainly known for a, a lot of other things, but that's that's the one that I that I always think of right away. Yeah. Uh, let, let's dive into construction a little bit. Obviously, with increased play and, you know, just tees there, everyone has to go on them. You've got aggressive golf shoes, players swinging out of their shoes, you know, um, divots, increased play. So, you know, wear and tear on tees is obviously a huge issue. So I'm curious, do you have certain construction, you know, specifications or, or certain th- certain ways you like to build tees that you feel like really work well? Yeah, so I think there's always been kind of a standard of, of sizing of tees based on a thousand, you know, a thousand square foot yardage and things like that. So if you got up to ten thousand square foot for for uh, for par three tees, down to six or eight thousand for par fours and things like that, I find that those numbers, when you actually come out in the field and see what an eight thousand uh, square foot set of tees is, it's it's humongous. So I'm trying to to build things smaller. Par threes are always a little bit uh, dicey because of of the, the amount of tear that one particular set can take. But uh, the one big thing that I've, that I think is, is changed in my mind about construction is the addition of drainage. And we always looked at tees as being uh, maybe the last place that you'd want to put uh, drainage in a sand cap or some sort of a different material on the top of tees. Uh, but I've changed my mindset on this, certainly from a, from a maintenance standpoint and what the superintendents go through to, to recover uh, turf is that it needs water, and you often you oftentimes have to water those tees enough, almost as as a grow-in type of situation where you have so many divots, you got so much seed, you got there's only so many times that you can hand water, you got to turn on the irrigation. So I find that what drainage allows you to do is actually water a little bit more, but take away the drainage much quicker. And so I'm finding that I put a lot more energy in into how the tee is built. From a from a growing medium standpoint and the drainage to allow those things to occur. Now nothing is a good substitute uh, for having the right size. You know we ought to make sure we understand how many 
you know, what club are they hitting? Are they hitting a wedge or a three wood? Those types of things. And I certainly want to put more tee space where most people are going to play from. You know, the back tees aren't nearly always as big as as the middle tees, if you will. Certainly also with the forward tees, but um, that's probably the biggest thing that I've that I've found. And then I've even gone to the part now where you're you're changing the turf grass out. Bermuda grass is starting to grow in a lot of different places in this country that. Uh, that wasn't before. So anything that has any level of of of, of quicker regeneration, uh, I'm certainly leaning to those types of options and, and solutions. Adam, I was going to follow up with you on that. The the size thing is sort of one part of the question, but then there's definitely that agronomic component to where it seems like you visit places that have a really good program in place, have the right grasses in place. And they've got smaller tees than you see typically, and they're in great shape, even with a comparable level of play. And then you'll you'll visit another place with maybe tougher growing environments, and a huge tee is still just beat down to nothing. I mean, how do you? Where is that balance of the sort of the agronomics and the size kind of come together? Yeah, the the equation really is is the same for you know to produce high quality turf on a putting green, you need air movement and sunlight. It's the same thing for tees. Obviously, it's a step step down in terms of the intensity of how you're maintaining it. Like Andy, you mentioned bentgrass. I mean, we, we see a lot of tees planted instantly with bentgrass because that's sort of been the you know the the tradition over the past you know 30, 40, 50 years or so. But that needs a lot of light, and you know so does Bermuda grass. And so you you start to look at re- redoing tees or why tees are struggling and you know, look up, look around. That That's often an underlying challenge as to why that tee may be struggling. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned earlier, George, some courses, you know, their, their tees might be smaller, but they're holding up better. It does come down to resources and pulling resources, you know, taking sort of your putting green program and, okay, obviously what, whatever we're doing on our putting green is, is all geared towards maximizing performance and turf health. Tees are... are down the, the priority list, but doing more intensive practices, you know, more specific, uh, you know, top dressing applications are a little bit more focused on hand watering, you know, if hotspots develop, that kind of thing, you know, it, it does pay off, you know, construction's a, a huge part of its size. Obviously you, you can't build a T too big agronomically. Um, you know, I get what you're saying, Andy, about, you know, they, they look pretty big out there sometimes. Someone who's who's grown grass, yeah, you, you want them as big as possible. Well, Adam, I, I, I would say that for the first time that I've experienced in a long time, I mean, I, the, the late 80s, early 90s was a pretty popular time for golf, and certainly when Tiger Woods got involved. But since then, we haven't had a whole much of a problem with having too much play, but there's nothing uh, that you can do about having 30,000 rounds in a Midwest golf course on one set of tees for an entire summer of which you're trying to keep fast and firm conditions and try not to overwater and be conserving your your resources. At some point, you just have too much play and you have to do a either moving the tees around or make the tee bigger. There's, there's just no way around it. Divots and play is just the same thing with golf carts. There's only so much uh, beating a, a piece of turf is going to take right before it just gives out i wanted to touch back on a little bit of the construction stuff and i don't know you obviously are are based in scottsdale but working all over visiting courses primarily in the northeast myself you know there's definitely a shift for i think the the standard approach you know during the boom was use like an 80 20 something similar to a greens mix for tees and a lot of cases those don't 
you know, they slough off on the sides. You're putting bankrass on them. Back tees get zero play, so they're thatchy, and they're the first ones to get localized dry spots. So all, 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 all this sort of has pointed us towards, all right, we want drainage, but we don't need something you know, with, with rapid drainage, just as long as we can get the water away from the, away from the roots and out of the profile. Is that, you know, you, you touched on a little bit earlier, but is that kind of what you meant by drainage? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm talking mainly kind of the subsurface drainage. Like I'm a big fan of the, of the small pipe with, you know, buried inside of the, the sand channeling, you know, what we have kind of affectionately called the XGD drainage that you do in the, in the greens, I'm seeing that going right through the fairways and right through into the tees. That, with some top dressing programs, you can build tees in a way that drain well, but you know, without that subsurface drainage that allows the kind of the subsurface to just you know, use gravity to, to flow uh, water to, to drain out. You know, that, that's the way I'm building most of my tees these days. I try not to cap anymore. This whole idea of sand capping fairways, sand capping tees, sand capping approaches completely changed my mind once I see a golf course get drained with the XGD and see what a golf ball does once it hits existing grade on clay soil. <laughs> it's uh, it, You can't get much faster and firmer than that. And so putting greens mix on tees, I don't do that anymore. What I'll more likely do is possibly harvest old greens mix or push aside the old tees. Uh, an old range tee, I'll reuse that. So uh, we're, we're, we're reusing a lot more material from your golf course uh, during the, the renovations than I ever have. So I have entire line items for harvest existing bunker sand, harvest uh, existing greens mix, uh, uh, topsoil management, push aside the tea mix and make sure that that mix gets back on top when you're done. A uh, lot more of that than years past. Wrapping up, I just I wanted to, you know, sort of just pick your brain. You know, I'm curious, where, where are you headed next? What's some exciting projects that you have coming come down the pike especially you know anything with sort of significant t components so anything interesting that you haven't already shared with with uh, sort of what's coming yeah I, well i just shared with the pga national down in uh, south florida that's that's hugely uh, a big impact for my career down in that area and then trying to do some things different with uh, kind of focus on match play in this whole t complex you know removing idea of par and yardages so i'm really excited about that end of september we're going to start renovation at the olympia field south course of which i went through the entire swing speed analysis with that group and that's one that was uh, very spirited on on how we landed uh we're going to be doing forward tees out into the fairways on all the on all the holes there uh and then modifying the the kind of those middle tees, I, I'm not going any lower than 6,000 yards on that kind of middle green tee, as they call it, uh, but moving a, an option forward for the forward tee players. And then, you know, I find, too, one of the things that is really a necessity with technology today, but also kind of appeasing all different players, is that you kind of slide the forward tees forward, and then you look for opportunities to move some things back. Uh, the south course is already every bit as long as it needs to, but we're holding those back tee yardages for the, that kind of championship player. So Olympia Fields is a huge project for me. I'm excited to finally get that underway. And then they have a variety of different clubs all around the country uh, from Arizona. I'm working up in Montreal, uh, Canada. Same thing. Everybody's focused on some forward tee initiatives. And I, 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 don't, I, can't, I, I can't think of any course I've worked with that we haven't done some modification at minimum of the of the forward tees or the addition of the forward tees. So yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's, it's been a great great last year the pandemic has affected people in a lot of different ways but for a lot of us golf architects we haven't been busier and, and i'm super happy and fortunate to, to be in that position 
Yeah, it's really a, a, a cool time for golf. I mean, I, I've had a lot of really exciting conversations with people and they're, you know, they're looking for these renovations. They're looking at, you know, how they can invest in their course in their course to improve the golf experience, you know, to, to keep existing players happy, to bring in, you know, new players. So yeah, it's, it'll be, it'll be cool. We'll have to, you know, track you and see, uh, see where, where Andy's off to next. So lots of travel in your, in your future. So, um, best of luck and, Really, thanks, you know, both you, Andy, and George for, for jumping on. So you guys were, were really awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, you're welcome, George. Uh, thanks, Adam. Uh, thanks for all the, guys, the work that you guys are doing, and I appreciate to be a part of this. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to visit usga.org slash course care to subscribe to the Green Section Record. If you'd like information on the USGA GPS service to better understand uh, sort of the use patterns and where golfers go and don't go on your course, uh, visit gsshop.usga.org.